is Bear Siragusa, and you are listening to the Hunting Hound Podcast presented by W Hunting Supply. something a little new tonight. It's uh, late at night and I have managed to delete an entire episode of content, which has bummed me out a little bit, but that's just how it goes. It's what you get for being a knucklehead and I'm a knucklehead apparently. So what I'm, uh, what I want to talk to y'all about tonight was I have been thinking quite a bit about this while I've been waiting for moose to walk by me. The last three weeks have been moose hunting season and I have been hunting uh, between work and kids and getting the hounds out a little bit, I've, I've been focusing quite a bit on the moose hunting, trying to get, uh, an animal in the freezer, which I've managed and got another animal down, which means that my relatives have some meat as well, which really, pre- I appreciate those things a lot. So, um, just finished up a few days ago. Packaging and freezing it all down, and um, one thing that I thought quite a bit about, because here, here in Norway, I, I don't, in uh, contrast to the United States, uh, where, to my knowledge, there's no place in the United States, Canada, or Alaska where it is allowed to run moose with dogs. Here, they run them with dogs. And they don't run them with hounds. They run them with uh, the Norwegian elk hounds, which, despite the name, are not hounds at all. They're small spitz types, spitz type dogs. So they look like miniature Malamutes a little bit. Um, they will silently trail, and then they will uh, bay them up and bark, waiting for the hunter to come in. The idea being that the moose is going to be so focused on the dog that it's not going to notice the hunter moseying on in and shooting it. A lot of times, though, that's not what happens. And that's the theory. That's the theory. That's how it should be going. A lot of times that doesn't happen. A lot of times you'll get a young animal that's maybe a little bit more afraid or a mother with a calf or who will run and they will run and they will run and they will run. And a moose can cover an enormous amount of ground in some pretty gnarly terrain very, very quickly. And then you've got this little ish dog running behind it, trying to keep up running faster than maybe it's comfortable running, trying to not let the moose get away from it. Uh, It's not a sight race, but they, they want to stay close and try and kind of have some kind of control over the moose and try and get it stopped again. So the attempt, what they're attempting to do is get in front of it and get it stopped. What that means is that these dogs can put on an enormous amount of distance in a fairly short amount of time. So it's not unusual to finish up a day and see that the dog is gone, you know, 30 or 40 miles throughout the course of that day. And then potentially get up and do that same thing the day afterwards. <clears throat> to For that to work, 
the dog needs to be fit to start the season. You can't just dump a green dog on onto a moose and expect that to go well. It happens every year. I work at a veterinary hospital and we get those dogs in all the time. Dogs with shoulders blown out, wrists blown out, uh, big cuts on their feet, uh, broken nails, injured backs, uh, all sorts of injuries that they can get just by being run without the proper training. But one of the most consistent injuries we see, even from the well-trained dogs, are pad injuries, foot injuries. And I've had a lot of time waiting for the dogs uh, to think about this while I've been sitting out there in the mountains. And I've, it's something that we think a ton about as dog mushers, you know, the dog, the dog mushing community. We've got this saying, there was an old, old dog musher who ran, uh, the, ran the Iditarod and he used to run some other races as well. Um, that's named, uh, George Atla. He was a legend. He said once, no foot, no dog where if you've got a dog with bad feet, that dog, it could be the most insane, raw, natural athlete that you could imagine. That dog's not going to contribute anything to your to your program simply because if it doesn't have the feet, it's like driving a car with bad, no tires. It's just not going to work. So, you know, part of that's going to be genetic, you know, you've got this. You've got this aspect of 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 build, color, uh, you know, behaviors, and part. You know, part of the genetic component is going to determine how tough your hound's feet are. And I, you know, I've heard a lot of different people have said a lot of different things. I've heard you know everything from. I've heard. Plot people say that walkers have terrible feet. I've heard walker people say that plots have terrible feet. I've heard um, people say that dogs with white feet have are more prone to issues than hounds with black feet. Uh, I've heard the same thing about the nails, that a uh, black nail is tougher than a white nail. And I... I'm not confident enough to say definitively that any of those things are true or untrue. I assume that there's going to be some gray area and there's going to be some exceptions to the rule. That's at least been my experience in terms of the colors of feet with my Huskies. You know, one of the dogs that I have always bred specifically on feet. I don't like having to use a lot of dog booties. And I know people whose yearly budget for dog booties, they'll boot every foot on every dog, every single run, and change booties when they fall off, which tends to happen on a 100-mile run. When that happens, I know people who have gone through four or $500 in booties every month just for, this, just for a single team uh, of Huskies. I don't like putting booties on my hounds because they've got to be you know, they, they've got to be a little bit more agile than the Huskies. You know, the Huskies are running on pack trail, putting one foot in front of the other at a steady trot. I'm controlling the speed. They don't need to have the traction that a hunting dog or a hunting hound specifically is going to need. So I need to have my hounds 
feet be in good shape or I'm not going to be able to, I'm not going to be able to run them. I'm not going to be able to hunt them. So it got me thinking, you know, what, what am I looking for? What, what of it, what, what can I control? Cause once I've got a dog in my yard, I can't control that dog's genetics. Once I've decided that that dog is going to move into my yard, may not stay there forever, but as soon as that dog is in my yard, the question of genetics is, is a moot point. That dog is alive. I can't change its genetics. I can't do anything about that. What I can do is I can start thinking about uh, toughening, conditioning, and there's a lot of things you need to think about with feet that we think about all the time as, as dog mushers. And I, it's not as much of a conversation in the hound world. And not that that's a bad thing, but it, it just got me thinking about it. So one of the things we'll consider with, with the Huskies is what kind of, what surface are they on? If we have a, a, a dog kennel that is built on a sandbar, those dogs' feet are going to be absolute iron because nothing is going to shred up a dog's feet on a normal above, above zero degrees or above freezing temperature day than sand. There's something about it that just abrades the dog's feet. They're not going to get the big open cuts that they would get on, you know, frozen gravel or shale or some of that volcanic rock, but they're going to just, they're going to get the worn out spots, the hot spots on their, on their toes. They're going to get those big scuffs on their, on their pads. Their nail beds are going to get all chewed up and infected <clears throat> and, you know, enough time out there and they're going to really start to struggle, which is why, you know, some of these dry ground lion hounds are just have feet made of iron. But interestingly, I've also talked to dry ground guys who have gone, have taken those same dogs up to wetter climates, you know, up to, you know, Washington state or up to, you know, hunt in the snow somewhere where suddenly their, their feet struggled you know, where they were used to those dry, abrasive temp conditions, where when you soften that foot up, soaked it, got it all, you know, wet and pruney, that foot really struggled and that dog really struggled. So I think that one thing that I might recommend and one thing that I've always done with the, with my, both my hounds and my other working dogs that I've had has been to try and have them on a surface, a substrate that's going to be as similar to what I'm expecting them to be hunting on as possible. Because, you know, and that that's not always going to be feasible. You know, I, a lot, my dogs spend a lot of time up in the pine forests. They're running on pine needles and reindeer moss. I'm not going to fill my dog kennel pine needles and reindeer moss. But around here, there's a lot of, there's a lot of river stone. There's a lot of crushed, uh, crushed gravel or deteriorating granite, um, from the last glacial period and a lot of exposed rock. So in my dog kennel, I'm going to have 
a mixture of it's it's a mixture of sand, coarse gravel, fine gravel, river rock, and exposed bigger rocks. Um, I believe it helps to give them, make them aware, especially as pups, where their feet are. So if you've got bigger rocks in there so that they're not just running around on a flat surface and then pulling shoulders and straining wrists and things as soon as you let them out. That I feel has helped quite a bit, not just in the feet aspect, but in the, in the skeletal, the development, the tendons, joints, that kind of thing. In addition to the surface that you have them on in the dog kennel, there are some surfaces that I have experienced have, have detrimentally affected my dog's feet very dramatically in a short amount of time. Um, I tried a, uh, I had one puppy litter that just, they were just digging constantly and they, it was kind of a wet summer. So their puppy, the pen was getting real muddy and I didn't, I didn't like that. I, so I put a roof over it and I put a floor down. And the floor was of patio boards, you know, por- boards that you would use to make a patio, a veranda, or, you know, porch. And those were um, pressure treated. And that litter, when I went to harness break them in the fall, had the worst feet of any litter I've ever experienced. And they were out of two dogs that had excellent feet. And not only that, it was a repeat litter. So I had an entire, that entire litter, I had their older siblings whose feet were excellent. And the only difference was the only variable that had changed was the floor that they were standing on. So I moved them out of there, gave them a month on a different surface, and I never had a problem again. So there was something about the pressure treated uh, wood that really messed with their feet. And I've experienced similar things with uh, freshly poured concrete um, or reasonably freshly poured concrete. Concrete in general I've, has not always been the best. Uh, I, I've experienced that, especially if it's wet over a longer period of time, it almost seems like they get some... I wouldn't go so far as to call it chemical burns, but certainly uh, some irritation where their feet meet the concrete. And also just for whatever reason, a little bit less toughness of their feet. I don't know whether they're not building calluses or what's going on, but there's something about concrete and wooden floors that I'm not crazy about because I think it has a negative effect on their feet. Uh, another big thing with that I've noticed throughout the years has been diet. What my dogs are eating, especially a working dog like the hounds or the or the huskies, they go through at the most intense periods of the year. They go through so many calories. They burn so many calories in a day. And you know, an Alaskan husky. Uh, running a you know a intense training regimen regimen or a race, they'll burn between ten and thirteen thousand calories a day, or even more. Some of the Iditarod dogs have been have been uh, have been measured mer- burning up to it was something really crazy, like 
23,000 calories, something insane. And when the food that I, the calories that they were getting were not quality calories, their coats get dull, their nail beds got brittle, their nails got brittle, and their feet got bad. It seemed like that had a real, it, it really had a negative effect. And I'm not talking real, like, bottom-of-the-barrel kibble here. You know, it was, it was decent quality kibble, but when things got really, really intense, when we were training 100 miles plus a day, or in a 24-hour period, I should say, that got to be an issue. And I can see it with my hounds. I go to people's, I go, you know, I'll go to somebody's place to run my hounds with their hounds or, you know, not necessarily together because we can't do that here in Norway, but, um, you know, rotating hounds in and out. You know, I've gone on four or five day hunts where on day five, my guys are still ready to roll. And there are other people's dogs who are ready to roll, but then there'll be certain dogs that are just done. They're just tired. And in a lot of cases, it could be the training that went into those dogs, their overall fitness level going into it. In some cases, I know that that's not the case. I know that they've been training as much as I have been. And yet my dogs were lasting and I think it was because of the quality of the nutrients, the quality of the kibble, the quality of the calories. Because it's not just terms in terms of the number of calories. When you're looking at dog food, it's not just the number of calories. It's what form are those calories in? Are those calories going to be in a form that the dog can metabolize effectively? You know, if... If most of those calories are going to be carbohydrates, I've heard so much hogwash about dog food on some of these uh, in articles and on podcasts where people will say that a hound can't metabolize fat the same way as a husky can because the huskies are northern breeds and the hounds are not. That has been proven time and time again, scientifically proven time and time again by people much smarter than I am. To not be the case. The only dogs that benefit from a glucose boost are dogs that are doing intense sprints. And that and then we're talking greyhound length sprints. The hounds and the huskies are in the endurance animal category. They need to be able to keep rolling. Not necessarily at the absolute fastest pace, but they need to be able to keep rolling at a decent pace for days at a time. If the calories that you are giving them, you can look at the back, and I know so many people have broken down the dog foods that are available into calories per dollar, kilocalories per dollar. I'm not saying that it's wrong to do that. It's definitely in, in, interesting information. It's definitely information that is, is useful. However, keep in mind, where are those calories coming from? Are they coming from cheap, fast-burning carbohydrates that dogs don't really metabolize the same way that people do and don't metabolize the, the way that some 
people seem to think that they do. There are a lot of dog foods out there right now where they have proteins. They have protein in the form of bone meal with where the ash content is way too high. So you've got a, or you've got, you know, fats in the, in the form of things like corn oil or canola oil, which is just not going to give the dogs what they need, either, neither in terms of calories or in terms of the nutrients, the omega-3s, the things that they're going to need to the, the fatty acids, the, you know, vitamin E, all of these things that are going to contribute to an overall good skin health, good coat health, and good foot health. So if you're if you are experiencing that your hounds are that their feet just aren't holding up, that you and you've got a good conditioning program, you're roading them in the off season, you feel like they should be hanging in there a little bit better than they are, consider looking at your feed. And it doesn't mean that you need to stop feeding the le- the, the kibble. You know, it's it can be prohibitively expensive, especially these days, to buy that top quality kibble. It's not even available in some areas. But you can make, you can compensate for some of what is lacking in those kibbles by investing in, and it's relatively cheap, investing in, you know, five gallon, five gallon jugs of salmon oil, for example. And if you put a half a cup on that, on every dog's food bowl, I guarantee you that within six weeks, you'll see a major difference in their coats and their feet. The last thing that I think I would like to talk to you guys about when it comes to feet, because for whatever reason, I don't know whether I've got a dog foot fetish or what the deal is, is here, but I've been thinking a lot about this recently, is the off-season, preseason conditioning. I know a lot of guys that will road their dogs. I know a lot of people who will bike with their dogs. Um, those are all great things. And it's certainly you know, you certainly better than nothing, you know, it's, but what you need to be aware of. And I, I, what I see a lot of guys doing is they'll road their dogs for, you know, on a road going 20 miles an hour and the dogs be running alongside and just free for all having a great time. The thing is, is that first of all, you're on a road which is not going to have the same, the same give. It's not going to be a, you're not going to have sticks. You're not going to have, they're not going to need to use their nails to grip as much as they are out in the terrain. The second thing is that at that speed, you are not, you're pounding potentially more on the foot, but you are the foot for the amount of distance you're covering is hitting the ground fewer times than it would be if you had them slowed it, if you slowed it down 
and had them at a trot. And this is something that I see, I, I saw all the time with the sled dogs is I would go to these training camps and train with other people, which is important to do preseason. You wanted to get the dogs so that they wouldn't have issues passing later in the year and that they would kind of get some of the stomach bugs and kennel cough and sniffy things that they would get, you know, early in the season. You wanted to get that out of the way before the race season started. We would go and these people would just pass me. I would be hanging at, you know, 10, 8, 10, 11, 12 miles an hour. That's well within a hound's ability to trot. They're not going to break over into a gallop or a lope until, you know, 16, 17 miles an hour, especially a hound. I never had, my dog's feet were in the first few runs of the season would get a little bit chewed up just because they were pulling, they were excited, they really wanted to go fast and I was letting them go. Then they would settle down and they would trot and we would trot and we would trot and we would trot. And they would not have these pounding injuries that they would get on their wrists and you know uh, their shoulders, their toes. A lot of dogs, a lot of huskies, that's going to be the thing that's going to give on them as they age is they're going to get arthritis in their wrists. I think it's the same with the hounds. At least that's been my experience is that both sort of anecdotally with my own dogs, but also working as uh, a veterinary nurse, we get, we get these, we'll get the hounds in and as they age, they struggle with arthritis in their front ends. There's certainly a genetic aspect to that, I suspect. But I think a lot of it has to do with how we go about training them. But all, you know, and, and it's difficult with a hound. You know, with a husky, they're always attached to you. With a hound, that's not necessarily going to be the case. You know, they're going to be running alongside you. You don't have as much control over whether that dog lopes, trots, whatever. But it's something to keep in mind as you're doing some off off-season training where you do have a little bit more control. Maybe you've got them in a harness. Maybe you've got them in a group where you are, you have much more control over the amount, the, the speed that they're going than you would in a hunting, you know, in a hunting scenario where they're out there running game. Cause then they're going to be going, you know, more pell-mell balls to the wall. If you drop that speed a little bit, that foot's going to come into contact. Each foot is going to come into the con into contact with the ground more often. You're going to have more full steps at a trot than you are at a gallop. It may not seem like much, but it does make a difference. It as you train, as you do your off-season conditioning, you're going to see that your dog's feet are going to end, are going to stay callous. They're going to stay tough. You're not going to get that sort of end of season, start up the next season with these squishy, squishy feet with longer nails. That's another thing is keep the dog's nails short. 
it, it's you're going to have a lot fewer injuries and a f- lot fewer wrist issues if the nails are kept short. If they get long, some you know some people say, well, they're like cats; they need them to grip. Blah blah blah. They they really unless you're running on some very very icy conditions or very very rocky conditions, they they your average hound is not going to need these big talons at the end of their toes. Those things are going to catch on thing. They're going to catch on. They're going to catch and they're going to break. The last thing I want to touch on here, now you guys have listened to me lecture for you know, 20 minutes. Last thing I want to talk about is when you have an injury, when you start to see that there is a problem, that you've got a hot spot at the end of a run, you've got a dog that cut its foot, you've got a dog that broke a nail, it's pulled, you know, we'll, we'll keep it limited to feet issues. But this this goes for all kinds of injuries. For that to heal, it's going to need time. And not just until the symptoms are gone. You could have a dog that comes in limping. You look, it's got a hot spot. In a day and a half, that dog's not limping anymore. That doesn't mean that that hot spot is, is, is healed. It means it's not hurting that dog as much anymore. Which means, hopefully, that it's on its way to healing. But if you've got a dog with a cut, a broken nail, that kind of thing, give that dog, I, I mean, a, you really need to give that dog a week off, at least a week off. If you've got a dog with a cut, like a full-blown, a full-blown, not just a, war, a wear spot, but a full-blown slice in its foot, that dog needs two full weeks before that foot is going to be ready to rock and roll again. And you can put all kinds of sal, you know, salves and balms and things on that foot. And that will aid in the healing process, certainly. But it's there's no miracle cure that is going to turn an injured dog's foot or a dog's injured foot, a hound's injured foot, into a boot. It, it doesn't work like that. So if you've got an issue... What makes a lot of these sled dogs and hounds, what makes them break down over the years is that they are mentally so tough that they'll keep going. It's up to us to put the brakes on. And when we don't, they will go to the point where they will break their bodies down. And you may not have that dog for as long as you would like. I know people who have had, I mean, we never have our great dogs as long as we would like. That's just, that's just going to be, they could last for 20 years and it would still feel like it was not enough. But I believe that by being reasonable with injuries, treating injuries reasonably, the dog will ultimately heal faster, will not develop a chronic injury because that is, that, that happens easily. And also, I believe you will get any time that you put into a dog to allow it to heal and develop. I believe, physically, I mean, I believe you will get that time back 
if barring some accident, you know, you never know when a dog is going to get swatted by a bear, hit by a car or something like that. I believe that you'll get that time back on the other end, on the, in the autumn of that dog's life, that dog is going to stay healthier and stay in your pack longer. If you give it the time to heal when it injures itself. And that is specifically about feet. That's all I've got for you guys this week. I am going to come back stronger and try and uh, I'm going to keep trying to get this uh, last episode I did back. And I've got some exciting uh, episodes coming up. And I hope that you found some of this uh, informative, interesting, infuriating. I, I hope that it got you thinking about your dog's feet and what role that plays in the overall success of not just the individual dogs, but your entire pack. If anybody has any questions, rebuttals, anything like that, I'm on Facebook. You can find my personal profile or you can go on to the Hunting Hound podcast page on Facebook and Instagram. Instagram at the Hunting Hound. Send me a message. I love talking about dogs. Uh, I'll talk to uh, anybody and everybody. And tell me if you agree with me. Tell me if you disagree with me. But let's have a... I'd, I'd be interested to hear other people's opinions about it. All right, guys. Man, I love that sound.